When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're having a great day, as I am. Today, our guest hails from Athens, Georgia. We have John Strickland from the band Lullwater. How you doing today, John? Hey, Jay. How's it going, man? Thanks for, thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for taking the time. I uh, always love uh, and enjoy... Focusing on new bands with the new music spotlight. I know you guys have been around for a while, but in terms of people knowing you guys, in terms of people trying to you know listen to you guys and you guys growing your audience, I find it a great opportunity for you to come on and talk about yourselves and your music, and hopefully you know gain some more more audience. Absolutely. First question is always the same every time we have a new guest on the show. And that is the essence of the Hook Rocks podcast. And that is just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? You know, I, I think one of those one of those moments for me was uh, we toured with Cannabox for about eight weeks, um, and we. Uh, we were we had, we covered release by Pearl Jam, um, and it's on the Seattle Sessions EP that we have. It's on SoundCloud or whatever. Um, and we were playing release, uh, opening up for Cannabox and Dave Cruzen, who is uh, Cannabox's drummer, was also in in Pearl Jam and was on Pearl Jam Ten. Um, and he uh, he was in the green room apparently in in one of the Houston shows, and he's like kind of popped out. It's like yeah, I think I know that song. You know, and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, you, you definitely know that song. So he he came on stage and played with us um, for that song, maybe eight nine shows on that tour. Uh, so he would hop behind the kit, and uh, you know, Cruising would come up, uh, get on his kit, and him and Joe would would play release as the full band doing that cover, uh, the Pro Jam cover. So that to me was that was uh, that was some craziness. That was special for sure. Now was Pearl Jam a big influence for you for you growing up? It is, yeah, yeah. Pearl Jam is definitely uh, a a big a big influence for me, a big band for me. Um, when I heard when I heard Pearl Jam ten, um, you know, when I was in middle school, it just it kind of shifted my my taste in music. I started listening to a lot more grunge and alternative rock, and, and uh, that record kind of got me into uh, a lot of the late eighties, early nineties, Seattle. Uh, bands that came out of the time. 
Um, but yeah, Pro Jam's always been a really big band for me. I've been a Pro Jam fan for a long time. Who was the artist that made you want to pick up a guitar? You know, I, I think I've always grown up in music. My mom's always played piano. My sister was, you know, she was older than me, so she would always bring in, um, you know, Violent Films and, and U2 and, and just everything, you know, Boston Records, the, the whole thing. So I always looked, um, growing up, my sister always gave me the new music. But as far as playing the guitar, uh, my buddy Joe Dombrowski, he was like a phenom. He was like the, he was like the best drummer at 12 years old and, and guitar player. He like could shred Van Halen, you know, at, at, at 13 and 14. So he really got me into playing guitar um, just because he was kind of the first musician friend of mine that I, that I ever had. Um, so I kind of picked up the acoustic and, and, uh, and we started jamming and, and that was kind of my, um, he was the guy that got me into playing. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was kind of crazy. I mean, we, you know, growing up in a musical house and, 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 and having friends that play, we just, we would rehearse every day and, you know, we started bands together. So that's kind of what got me going. Was there any guitar players that influenced your style of play? You know, I, I really, I was never really good at lead. I was always kind of focused on, I would write songs as a, as a, as a kid. Um, so my biggest thing was being a vocalist, singing and writing songs and being a songwriter to where I, I would always have like really good lead guitar players around me. You know, so I would just kind of go, all right, I'm, I'm going to practice and try to get better at lead, but, but you know, the bands that I was in always had a really good lead guitar player. Um, but stylistically, you know, I, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the earlier stuff was, was a lot of drop by truckers and, and Pearl Jam, uh, Nirvana, um, a lot of the, the bands like that. Leonard Skinner was a big influence on me growing up, um, as far as the Southern rock band goes. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say, man, I, I would definitely say, um, between Stone Gossard, Pro Jam, and uh, and uh, Kurt Cobain, those guys were definitely a big influence on my writing. Was there a song that you heard that you said to yourself, you know what, I, I connected with that song. I, I want to write something like that. I want to create a piece of art that connects with people such as this song did for me. Was there that moment for you? Yeah, I, there, there were moments like that, um, and there have been moments like that. Um, the, uh, I would say a lot of early Foo Fighters, there were, there were songs, I mean, all, when All My Life came out, that was, that song just kind of hit me really hard as far as the energy goes. And, and, uh, I've always wanted to kind of write a song like that, but I don't think I've, 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 I've gotten there <laughs> yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would say, I'm trying to think of another song too, that, um, I remember being a kid and listening to the Boston album over and over and over again. And every song on that record was just so powerful to me. Um, you know, and they were simple chords as far as the league goes, it was, you know, pretty intense, but, but a lot of the Boston songs in the, in the eighties were, were, were simple chord progressions. And, and, uh, honestly, I think more than a feeling was one of those songs that I got really pumped about when I first heard it and I was playing acoustic. So I think, you know, that was, that would have been one for me. You guys are from Athens, Georgia, and I have to say that 
there's a lot of artists that I find remarkable to come out of the state of Georgia, whether it's, you know, Blackberry Smoke, whether it's Butch Walker, Driving and Crying, uh, Jackal, uh, the band Biters, which is now kind of migrated in the band Tuck Smith and the Lonely Hearts, and then you guys. But is there a focus on Georgia-based bands when you're kind of growing up in that area, in that state, listening to artists that have gone on to bigger things? The Drive-By Truckers were a really good uh, band for me, and they're from Athens. Uh, I think I think uh, Patterson might – I think he's moved out to uh, Portland now. Um, but for me, definitely, when I moved to Athens um, – I went to UGA and I moved here to go to school and um, Dead Confederate and Truck by Truckers were definitely my favorite bands um, to see live and also their records. Um, but before that, I really, the only band that I'd really ever heard of being from Athens um, growing up was, was Widespread Panic and R.E.M. and uh, B-52s, you know, back in that, that era of Athens music. Um, but yeah, I would say that the, the coolest bands that I fell in love with when I came to Athens were definitely Drive By Truckers and and, uh, and Dead Confederate, which Dead Confederate broke up I, several years ago. Um, Hardy still plays a lot, and he's he's always on tour. Um, but that band just blew me away. They were unbelievable and uh, definitely influenced kind of our early days of writing in Athens. The Drive By Truckers have that song. I think it's "Let There Be Rock," which is about going, to uh, con- yeah. which is about going to concerts when you're a kid. And I totally connect with that song. It's like, are they writing about my childhood in this song? <laughs> it's like, you know, because the bands they talk about and the concerts when you were a little kid. I mean, I started sneaking uh, or out and going to concerts when I was very young, sleeping over at friends' house. We'd say we'd be going somewhere. We end up at a concert. We'd ride our bikes to concert halls. And, you know, lock them up outside and we'd be surrounded by, you know, late teenagers, you know, adults. And we'd be like 11, 12 years old, just like rocking out. <laughs> That's awesome. So when I hear that song, I'm like, I, I love this tune. It just has a total connection uh, with me uh, and just my, my youth and how they kind of roll out and how they approach the whole song. Yeah, dude. I mean, truckers just, they, they kill it. I mean, I, I remember the 2004 um, 40 watt show um, was like one of the first, you know, 40 watt shows that I'd ever seen when I moved to Athens. Um, and they had the DVD with it. It's when Jason Isabel was in the band, uh, Shauna was in the band, and and they just, I mean, they they blew the roof off of that venue. And I remember just thinking after that show, just good God, like how cool is this band? And just you know, dove into it. Um, you know, listen to Pizza Deliverance and then uh, Decoration Day, which is probably one of my favorite records. Um, yeah, man, they just have this, and they have this no bullshit, like in your face, Southern rock style, obviously with Patterson and and, uh, and Cooley, their writing styles and their non-apologetic lyrical content. It, it's, it's yeah, they're, they're such a cool band. Yeah, it's one band I have yet to check out live, and I and I have to do it. I mean, it seems like every time they come to Chicago, I'm like, I have something else going on or I can't make it, but I got to do it. I know, I think they're touring in 2020. Um, and I, and I have to make it a point to go see them because I'm a huge fan myself. They are loud too. You would never believe how loud the drive-by truckers are. Really? 
you would, yeah, they are so loud in a, in a great way, which I'm feeling half deaf anyway, just from being on the road. But it, it's one of those, those shows that it's, you know, when they do the, the rock and stuff like Lookout Mountain and they do a lot of the, like, you know, they're, they're rock tunes. They just crank it to where it's, you feel the whole show. I mean, you're, you're submersed in a drive-by trucker show. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely an experience, man. I, I hope you can catch it. Moving on to, to you guys in your history. You guys were, you know, started out in 2007. What is the history of Low Water? You know, the history of the band, it, it, we, we, we say we started in 2007, which I think, you know, technically we did. Um, but we were just a bunch of young, you know, college kids that, that, um, played cover shows to, to pay rent. And, uh, we played, you know, college bars. Uh, that's, you know, in Athens back in 2007, um, 2008, you know, that era, they, they, there were a lot, there was lots of live music. I mean, it was, there were bands playing everywhere, um, downtown. Um, and unfortunately, just like a lot of parts of the country, you know, several music venues have closed in Athens that were, that were iconic stages like Tasty World, for instance. Um, so we started out cutting our teeth, man. I mean, I think a, a lot of what we wanted to do was just in the early days of the band, it was just kind of a free for all. Um, and then we, we played covers and we, you know, we do this and we, we regionally tour around, play wild wings and, and, uh, you know, play three hour cover shows so that we could, we could make money for, for, uh, paying rent and school and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, I, I kind of took the reins there and, uh, and made a decision to, to do, let's, let's stop all this mess and do original music. Uh, went through several lineup changes, um, and, uh, and kind of went through the growing pains of every, you know, every band kind of has that, uh, and we were no exception. I mean, we, we went through that. We went through like three bass players and, uh, you know, two guitar players, two drummers and all that stuff. But, um, around 2011 is when we really got serious with what we were doing. Um, and not necessarily saying serious, but we, we, we solely focused on, original music and recording because we had done demos um, prior to, to, to leaving to Seattle to do the self-titled record. Um, but it just, it, it, it just wasn't there yet. And then we went to Seattle and that's really when it kind of all started for us. How was that decision to go from playing covers? Cause we all know cover bands bring in more people than original music in, in some areas, but, but in most areas they do. And you and you get paid more. And, and as a musician, and as someone who wants to write, you know, how was that evolution to say, hey, you know what, I I love playing out at these gigs, but I'm not being fulfilled enough to keep going and playing someone else's music. How was that? Oh yeah. yeah it, how was that process for you? It, it the process was was kind of a no brainer, uh, especially for for uh, myself and, and our former guitar player, Brett. Um, after a while, man, it just, it burns you out. Like it, 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 it was great when you're early twenties, you know, <clears throat> and Brett was, I think 18 at the time. Um, but, um, after playing wagon wheel 3000 times a night, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it becomes this, it just becomes this monotonous struggle to, to play these cover shows. And three hours is a long time for, for any, anyone 
um, to play a show. But when you're playing, you know, Last Dance with Mary Jane and, and you know, all these these cover songs that, that you know, you like to you like to listen to the songs and then you start playing them in a, in a cover, you know, atmosphere, and it just ruins all that for you. You know, you, for me anyway, I would just get so frustrated and, and not be able to let my creative side out as far as writing and, and creating original music. And that was always the goal for me. And it, and it, it always been it, you know, I've been in bands when, when I was in high school and, and, um, had been in bands leading up to, to low water to where, you know, I think that it just got stagnant and stale and we just couldn't, we just couldn't, I didn't want to keep doing that. It, it got, it got pretty, pretty monotonous and, uh, and yeah, I mean, playing cover shows and, and you're doing a three hour set in, in college towns, you are making a lot of money. I mean, you know, and especially doing acoustic gigs, I was doing acoustic gigs like five days a week. Um, and, and low water was doing, you know, sometimes we'd have multiple shows. So, um, it was a decision to say, look, you know, let's, let's take this, let's, let's move past our original thought, original dynamic of the band and, and let's start focusing on, on creating original music. 2012, the self-titled album is released. Talk about the recording process. Talk about how Lullwater develops their music. Is it you bringing in ideas? Is it a collective effort between all four of you guys? How does that work? It's definitely collective. Um, I'll, I'll bring a song in or an idea and then, um, and, uh, and then we all put our spin and we all put, we all put our input in. Um, some, sometimes it makes it, sometimes it doesn't and just, you know, we all respect each other as songwriters and, and musicians to where for us, especially now, um, when you're looking at a 2011, um, I would say the majority of the songs coming out were, uh, between me and our former guitar player and, and Ray, um, um, writing the songs and then once we, once we went to Seattle and that's where um, our our former drummer um, was was let go and and we kind of had to rebuild again um, but we had a lot of good songs out of out of self-titled and and the experience in Seattle definitely tightened us up as a group and it, it you know for the first major recording session I mean we've been in studios done you know, here and there, uh, but actually going to Seattle for a month where you are submersed in that environment, um, it kind of, you know, you either, you either put up or shut up in, in that, in that instance, you know? So it's, it's not like you can just go home and you're tired and, or sick or, you know, hungover or whatever. And you can't just, you have to work a 12 hour day every single day. Um, so it kind of, it tightened us up. And then once we had the record, um, mix and master for self-titled then we started touring uh more on that um small touring i mean we were i was booking the street you know the shows myself and and uh we had the van with no trailer <laughs> so we uh we definitely we definitely uh hit the road and and uh we're road dogs for that duration of time after self-titled 2015 the second effort comes out was that more the same with the writing process. How did you guys grow from the debut into that second record? Well, uh, Joe Wilson joined the band. Uh, 
after self-titled and then into revival. So, um, we all kind of stuck to our, our guns and, and I think with the revival, um, we were all riding together. You know, we went to, um, to Brett's, uh, his, his, uh, his, I think his granddad has like a little beach house in, in Savannah. So we all crammed in a beach house and, and wrote the entire record in, in a couple of weeks or whatever. Um, but at that time, Low Water was really trying to do the, the DIY and the, the let's do analog tape again and let's make it, you know, motorhead kind of vibe and, and, and let's just, you know, make it, you know, this, this gritty, grungy, uh, not produced, underproduced actually. And, 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 and go into it with that, that mindset of we're the underdog, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, sound as produced as like a Nickelback and all these bands that were, that were on the radio. Cause we were, you know, we were kind of bucking the system at that point or, or thought we were. And, and, and we, and we were, we felt like we were, we were creating something, uh, original and, and, and different and especially sonically. Um, and we had Justin Davis and Stephen Hogan from Seattle, uh, to do that record. So we flew to Texas and we did a month there at Sonic Ranch and, um, and yeah, and revival, it, it, you can hear it. You can definitely hear the the uh, the live sound, and the, we, we tried to harness that live sound in, in revival, and uh, and not make it polished, and not make it overproduced. Um, and that's that's where we were as a band. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm proud of revival. I think we did a great job on that record, um, and it was uh, again a, a new chapter for the band. That's interesting that you say that because when I listen to your music my first thoughts are rawness it's in your face it's you know it's rock and roll you know and it's it's not too overproduced or you know you know too much compression or whatever and i often have thought to myself that yeah you know it's similar to like a motorhead record where you kind of feel the rawness and you kind of feel you know it being aggressive and and, and it's it's a that's a fresh of fresh air considering a lot of stuff coming out is way overproduced and way overdone. Yeah, yeah, and, and especially in 2014, 15, we did that record. That's exactly what we wanted. We wanted the the, the human element to be apparent. You know, it, it was in that time there was a lot of overproduced rock music, and uh, and we just we just didn't want to do that. I mean, we wanted to do you know four guys in a room just cranking out heavy aggressive songs and uh, and capturing that on analog tape, and it was. Analog tape is a pain. I mean, I, I love it. I'm glad we've done it. We've done it twice, um, <laughs> but it's a uh, it tightens you up for sure because analog is unforgiving. You have to be you have to be on it. You have to be prepared, and you have to be really serious about the recording process because you know it's not like Logic or Pro Tools where you just go, all right, start over, let's do it again. You have to rewind the tape and 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 cut it again. You know, or with the technology you know, you have more of an ability to cover up your mistakes too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's easier for editing. It's easier for everything. So analog is definitely that, uh, you're going to get, you're going to get the, uh, the human flaws, uh, that are captured in, in revival. You can hear, you know, you can hear flaws or, or, uh, you know, miss somewhat miss notes. I mean, we would, we would start over if we messed up, but the, the, the human element and the rawness of that record is, is, uh, is definitely captured on analog and there's nothing wrong with that right i think people as time has moved on have forgotten the essence of rock and roll and the attitude of rock and roll 
And it's okay to have that to have that stuff in there. I mean, it's it's not rock and roll is not meant to be this overproduced, nicely packaged deal that pe- you know, you put in front of people. Oh yeah, I, I agree, man. And I, I think that's why revival was was done the way that it was done and the environment that it was done. I mean, yeah, you listen to Rolling Stone records. I mean, some of those some of those takes are are uh, what's the word? that we, we would always say in at revival. It was um we'd always call it like it, it was it was it was perfect shittiness. You know, <laughs> like you, you you captured the 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 rawness of it and you, you capture a take that maybe emotionally and and the vibe was so much better than a than a more, you know, quote unquote perfect take to where you you you'd feel it. I mean you'd feel it but you'd hear like, oh that was that was kind of dirty or that was kind of weird. And, but that's the whole point of rock and roll. And, and I, and I, I agree. There's, um, I feel like in some instances there is that lack of, of it doesn't have to be perfect. It should be, um, it should be, you know, raw and it should be emotional. If you're capturing these emotional takes that aren't as, you know, technically perfect, that's the point of rock. And that's the point of, you know, especially for us from, in revival is that, that we would capture those moments and, uh, and, and put it on the record because it was like, Oh yeah, you, you remember this spot in that song to where everybody was either aggravated or, or, you know, beat up or exhausted. But that's, that's what makes, you know, that's what rock and roll is, man. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's raw and it's, it's definitely an emotional genre of music to where I think it, it, it some, some artists and some people are, are maybe forgetting that, um, but we try to always keep it as, as raw as possible and, and, uh, and not too produced. I think of the song straight cat blues off a of beggar's banquet. When I think of the stones and I think of the attitude and the rawness of it and the vibe of that song has such a cool vibe, but it's so, there's so many loose ends and so many things going on with that song, but it, it just works and it, and it sounds cool. Mm-hmm. It's like sympathy for the devil, man. Like that solo is to me, it's just not a, it's not a great solo. <laughs> you know, it's one of the like, what, what is this? When, when you hear that, you're kind of like, there's so many better solos on their, in their catalog, but, but it, it's, it's, I think it was supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be just that simple kind of shitty, you know, like screw it. This is rock and rock and roll. And let's, let's do it the way we want to do it. The new album is Voodoo, and prior to that, you did the Seattle Sessions. What was the idea behind revival into the Seattle Sessions, into the new album Voodoo, in terms of your creativity? So, when revival was done, um, we we toured on that record, and, you know, by chance, we were coming through Seattle on a tour um, I think in 2014, maybe I can't remember. Um, Palm at, at, at London bridge was like, Hey guys, you know, if you want, we have three off days. If you guys want to do, um, some recording, you know, we had just gotten pretty much just gotten back from, uh, from Seattle, from London bridge. So Seattle sessions didn't even come out. It came out after revival, but we'd had those songs for years and years and years. Um, we just, we just didn't do anything with it. Um, but, um, but yeah, we went to, we went to Seattle again and did Seattle sessions and it was, again, that was another just raw, you know, 
like a weekend of just being in the studio and, uh, and laying down like tracks that we'd already performed live. Um, and then went back on tour again. And then the, uh, the change, I think again, low water again, has had, we've had member changes. And when you have a member change, it, it, it completely, um, shifts your direction. It shifts your, your, your dynamic. It, it, when you, when you, when Brett left, it was, um, you know, we, we had to find a new lead guitar player, but, but you have, you know, Daniel Benny, who Benny and I had been in bands before and, and, and had worked with each other previously. So when he joined, he's going to bring an entire different element of, of guitar playing and songwriting to, to the band. So for us, it was like, all right, well, we have a new guitar player. He's also a great writer. And, um, and then you have the, the relationships that we created from touring and, and meeting Jacob Herman. Uh, we call him the crazy Swede. He was on, he was on tour with Amherst. Um, and he's a great producer in Gothenburg. I mean, he's done machine head and anthrax and, and a lot of Swedish metal and rock bands to where we formed a, a friendship and relationship on that tour to where, um, when it was time to do another record, he, he actually flew into Athens and surprised me, uh, and pitched me on working with him on a new record. So he sold us on, on New Orleans. He sold us on, uh, the, the, the process and the style along with Justin Davis coming in from, uh, from Seattle. So just the whole, I mean, the band changed. Uh, that's, and I think when you're doing records and you're looking at, um, uh, a band's catalog, you look at the members that are in the band at that time and you, you kind of see and, you can hear the differences between where the band is in, at that moment in time. And, uh, and Voodoo um, captures that. It, it captures where we were as a band. We've been, you know, road hardened at that point. We've been on the road for a long time. And, um, Daniel Benny joined the band and, and brought a lot of his influence um, into the new sound of Woolwater. The songs Curtain Call, Buzzard, Into the Sun are really kind of highlights for me with the new album when i saw you guys live this past october with blacktop mojo and otherwise i was completely blown away it was the first time i had seen you guys how do you guys when you have a collective effort like you do how do you decide which ones stay with the in, in the record which ones don't make it how do you guys have that process what's what is that process for low water you know it, it, it it's really it's organic and, and, and we really go off of feel. Um, and, and also, you know, between Jacob and Justin being like, all right, that sucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you bring a song to, uh, to producers, especially the uh, Jacob Herman, who's, you know, very direct with you. He's like, all right, that is, that's crap. We're not going to do that. And you go, okay, but we, we were feeling it. And you're like, nah, that's crap. Um, but usually we will, we'll hash that out in the, in the practice space, the band house and, uh, and figure out if, if we're feeling it or not. I mean, cause there were, you know, there were songs that we, we would start writing, um, in our, in our writing sessions that we would have in our, in our, in our band house where if, if you're not feeling it, if the whole band's not really grooving it while you play it live, it, it's, it, it's not necessarily going to make the cut, you know? Um, it might have to be revised and, and wait for the next record or, or whatever, but, but yeah, that's that's kind of how the, the the process goes with us. Where if if 
like in the sun. Benny wrote that song, um, uh, as far as the music goes. And, and we, we, we picked some of these songs from, uh, the band that Benny and I were in previously. Um, so we bring that to the table and see if it fit and, and see if it works out. And, and, and the booty record just did. I mean, it was just one of those things where it was, you know, we had some, we, we would butt heads here and there, but for the most part, everybody just got in, uh, and dug in for, uh, for the writing process of voodoo. And it, and it, it came out to us the, the best way that it could. I've often said with the way the industry is right with the way recording and in re- the process of recording music is right now, you really can't be your biggest fan. And when I, when I say that, I mean, you really need to be able to critique and say no to yourselves if something's not working, if it doesn't sound right. Too many times, especially over the last decade and a half, you hear music, and a lot of it's good, but there's a lot out there that there's no one in the room that has the ability to say, you know what, it's good, but it's not ready. It's not great. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of artists, a lot of bands are missing that element with like what you just said, being, you know, you know, having the ability to say this sucks. It's not good. It's not ready yet. I think a lot of bands and a lot of artists are missing that. Well, yeah, I agree. And I think, um, to be able to compromise with yourself and not, not necessarily compromise, but to, to evaluate your, your creativity. And that's tough because you're, you know, when you write a song, it's, it's, it's a part of you and it, it is, it represents a, a moment in time or it represents an emotion that you have. And, and if you feel that deeply, you know, criticism can be very, uh, it can be deflating. But I, I think the, the one thing that low water has and what we do is that really, if we don't look at it, we're not, we, we wouldn't try to say, look, this is not good. You know what I mean? To another member, you, 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 you explore the idea and like when we're in the jamming session, explore it. And if it's, if it's not necessarily vibing with people, then you can't really, you can't really force that. It, it has to be, again, it has to be organic to where, you know, a good song is when everybody is going, Oh yeah, this is, this is good. And you want to, you know, you kind of have to sift through the ones that, that everyone's not feeling. And, and, um, because you know, if, if you might, you might have an idea and you might have a feeling about a song and, and say, okay, this is going to be really good. And you bring it to the table. If it just doesn't mesh and it doesn't sound good. Or if the producer like Jacob says, all right, guys, this is a week, this is a weak song. Um, to not take it personally and to say, you know what, let's just put a pin in it. It's the great thing about songs is that they, they they're, they're always going to be there. You know, you can always revisit a song, um, later down the road or, or, or make changes or, or, you know, make sure that it is ready. So yeah, I agree, man. I think having a producer like Jacob and Justin and, and, and how they worked with us, um, you know, it, it, it helped the record. And there were songs in that in that recording session that I, I know that there there was a lot of kickback and a lot of button heads on some songs that we were like, nope, this has got to do this, we want to do this, and you just have you just have to work through it. So to answer your question or to reiterate that, yeah, man, I think having someone that that you trust that's 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 with you, um, your producer saying this is garbage, you know, don't take it personally, just kind of see where it goes follow the follow the idea 
And if it is garbage, then you'll probably realize it <laughs> sooner than later. Absolutely. And then I've often said, too, music is a lot about timing, whether for the listener or whether for the artist producing it. I don't know how many interviews I've read over the years where an artist is talking about a new album that they've released, and they mention the fact that, yeah, I actually started recording this five, six, seven years ago, and it was just wasn't ready during that session, and I put it away. I kept it on the, you know, in-progress you know, side of, of, of the studio. And I started listening to some of my old stuff and I had an idea for another song and I heard this old demo I did and the new idea totally meshed with the, the old demo and it created this great song. So that happens a lot. And I I think for an artist to allow that to happen organically, like you mentioned, I think that's really important. And I think that's a really great thing about a band like low water where they're able to, you guys are able to, say, hey, let's just table it now. Let's move on to something else that is more ready or you guys are feeling a lot more. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. That's that's definitely the case for us, too. And we've had, again, like the, 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 the songs, Into the Sun, um, This Life, and um, I think that was Into the Sun, This Life on Voodoo. Those songs were written, uh, Biddy and I pretty much wrote those songs 2009 like 10 years ago so it it just happened to be like let's bring these back out the timing was perfect the songs are great and uh and yeah it just i think you're right timing is timing is everything when it comes to re-releasing a song or or revisiting a song to to make sure that it's done right how would you describe the music of low water you know I, i think it's a a combination of uh, the interests of all the members that that combine into a um, not necessarily a southern sound because we get that a lot, but we don't really consider ourselves a southern rock band. Um, but you have Ray that, that's big into metal and hip hop, and then you have Joe who is an Humphreys McGee fanatic and a Grateful Dead jam band guy, uh, and you have Benny who is a you know Aerosmith is his favorite band in classic rock and blues. And then, you know, I, I listen to everything from country to, to, uh, you know, some metal, but mostly grunge is my, my biggest influence. So you have all these different musicians that listen to different music, but they all respect and love grunge music and, uh, the, the, you know, alternative rock era of, of Seattle in the early nineties to where that's kind of where we all, we take our different influences and our different styles and we mix. And that's kind of where the, that's where the, 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 the melting pot happens is, is the respect and the love of that alternative rock music. So we kind of just created, you know, we love playing that, that type of music together. So it kind of blends all these different, um, styles of rock and, uh, and we just, you know, it, it creates the, the low water sound. We're at the end of 2019, 2020 is upon us here in a few weeks. You guys released a new album this past year. You played everywhere you could. You went on, you know, did some touring. What's on the agenda for 2020? Uh, I think we're going to be, obviously we're going to be touring still, pushing uh, Voodoo. Um, But we do have an acoustic record that's just, that's on ice. We haven't, it's, I don't think it's quite done. Um, but as far as that goes, we've we've had uh, we've had an acoustic record, um, just just chilling there for about a year now. 
So um, that's going to be something that we're going to release next year. Um, probably do campaigns for it and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it's actually really exciting. And I, I, I'm, I've been talking about this record in interviews for the last, you know, six months or so, um, because that process was so different and so much fun that, you know, we love being a hard rock band. We love the energy of, of performing live with loud guitars and drums and just, you know, high energy, but it's something, it's something to have this acoustic record with strings and, 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 uh, and keys. And, and it's so, you know, it's a lot more, it's a lot more delicate. It's a lot more, um, it's a lot more, it's, it's light. I mean, it's lighter. It's, 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 it's not as heavy. You're not just cranking the cars out, but it's really exciting to know that we're going to have this, uh, record ready for, uh, for next year and to see what people think about it. Are you going to be doing acoustic shows to support it? I'd love, I'd love to. I mean, we actually, what spawned the whole record was, uh, Kevin Martin, Cannabis called me up. I was like, Hey, do you guys want to do, um, you know, a short run with us on an acoustic tour? And this was, I guess, two years ago, maybe, something like that. Um, and we had never done acoustic shows. Um, so we practiced and we got everything ready for the acoustic show. And we played the, the city winery. Um, I think we did two in Chicago, actually, up where you're from. Um, we did the city winery up there. And it, we had an overwhelming response from, from the fans coming up to the merch table and, and talking to us. They're just like, oh, my God, you guys should do an acoustic record. And it. You know, it kind of stuck, so we did. <laughs> we did an acoustic record, and and, uh, and yeah, I think it's going to be great, man. Who knows? We might actually even do an acoustic tour at some point. With the acoustic set that you guys did, is this or the, the acoustic album that you're gonna, about to release, are these songs that are performed acoustic that you've done before, or is this all new material? So we went back through our, our catalog. We went back through self-titled and revival and voodoo, and we picked songs from those three records that sounded really, you know, it sounded really good acoustically. And we played it live um, on that Candlebox run. And uh, so, yeah, so we, we, we have re-recorded a lot of the songs from all the albums um, acoustically, and then we've added one more. So there's going to be one more, one new uh, acoustic song on that record. But yeah, most are, most are, are, are uh, already recorded music. Is there ever going to be a point where you merge the acoustic side and the rock side into one album or into your music? Like Free Fighters? Yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a great uh, example. Station, Silence and Grace. That would be awesome, dude. Yeah, we've always wanted to do that. I think, you know, blending those two, like, like when Free Fighters did that record, um, that'd be amazing, dude. Like af- after hearing the strings and horns and keys from the ones, because we, we have all those, um, on voodoo, uh, they're, you know, we have, uh, strings and keys, horns, and it, 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 it makes the record so much bigger. And we had so much fun working with those musicians where, um, adding musicians that are playing violin or, or gypsy violin or, or cello, it always adds so much. And an acoustic record, you can really hear it a lot better than you can a rock record, I feel like. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool to, to blend those two. And I think one day, we, hopefully we can do, you know, we'll do that. We'll have a, we'll have a record where there's some rock and, and half of it's, you know, loud guitars. And then we do an acoustic, you know, some acoustic work. 
the evolution of a band is so important, especially for the artist performing the music. And when you have the ability to perform your music acoustically and put it out on a record, that's different from what you've done prior to this record. That's always got to be satisfying for you and the band to be able to keep things fresh and to keep things going as a band. It does. And I think um, for the acoustic record, we actually did it in Athens. We did it at home, um, which is rare for us because we always we always like to get out of our comfort zone and our element. And being away from home forces you to focus more on the record and, and the on the project that you're that you're recording. Um, but yeah, man, it's really fun. Like when, when Justin flew in from Seattle and all the guys came in and we did this record, you know, it it it's just such a different experience because you're you're the, the processes might be the same, but your your instruments are different and your your entire vibe of the record is different. It's 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 a different focus. So yeah, it is it's refreshing for sure. Can you tell us anything about touring or who you're going to tour with in 2020? You know, I don't know. I think uh, our we, we, we call them our suits endearingly. They, those those guys are going to be the ones that, that line up the touring, that line up the um, the uh, the shows. So it's, at this point, we kind of, you know, we get the call and uh, we, we, we say, yeah, let's do that one or no, let's don't do this or whatever. But for the most part, um, we're going to be touring as much as we can. I think we did. We definitely did over a hundred shows this year. I think it was like 120 or something like that. Um, so we're kind of looking at, at doing about the same amount next year. And then, uh, but yeah, we're, we kind of wait on the call, man. Once the, the agent sent us the itinerary, we, we hit the road. What was your most satisfying moment in 2019 as a band? 2019. You know, I was really excited um, when Voodoo came out and we were playing those songs uh, on the Seven Dust tour, meeting meeting all those guys in Tremonti and, and, and hanging out with the band and crew and getting to know them, um, that was a highlight. But honestly, I'll tell you that the, the highlight of this year touring has been with Black Top uh, and, and touring with those guys for, I think we did, we did two tours with those guys this year. Um, because we're, we're all, you know, we're family, friends and family, obviously. Um, and, and spending as much time with those guys, um, on the road every day, that was the highlight of the year. You know, they're, they're best friends of ours. It's, it's a big circus family and, uh, and, uh, you know, hanging out with them and, and, and just playing shows around the country with, with our best friends was, it was wonderful. It was, it was a great tour. And then meeting otherwise too. Those guys are amazing. They're they've very quickly became close dear friends of ours. So it's 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 been a hell of a year, man. Between the record coming out, the Seven Dust tour, and then the two tours with with Blacktop Mojo. Otherwise, it's been a really good year. That tour was great. I mean, I saw you guys at the Forge out in Joliet when you guys came through. I was impressed. Oh yeah, it, it was freezing you know, that day. Good grief, it was so cold. <laughs> yes, it was. Like I, I remember the the Arctic blast. We we just gotten through Colorado and all the cold, and then I remember Joliet and sitting outside. I was like, what, fifteen, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was wild because it was it was in November, or October. It shouldn't have been that cold, and then everyone uh, around Illinois that we would see, like, what, you guys brought the cold with you. Because it's not supposed to be this cold. I'm like, yeah, we know. We brought it 
<laughs> the name of the tour was the Spy the Sun Tour, so we we pissed off some kind of sun god or something. Yeah, right. And we decided to just <laughs> be in the blizzard the last, you know, early two weeks of that tour. Yeah, we had snow in October, and it was the weirdest thing because all the leaves had fallen off the tree because it got cold way too fast, and then the snow was on top of the leaves. So, like, nobody raked or did their lawn or anything for, like, two weeks because it was too cold and there was still snow on the ground. And it was – it's I've never seen that happen before. It was crazy. It was nuts, man. It was crazy because we, we expected to go out and it'd be fall. Right. You know, we, we, we all laughed about it and joked about it before we left. We're like, you know, it was 75 in Athens when we left the first day on tour. And it was like, man, this is going to be great. This is going to be, like, fall weather. We brought our – you know, we brought our jackets. We're like, you know, looking forward to it. And then we hit a snowstorm in Colorado, the first first show, and brought it with us the entire two weeks of that tour. Man, yeah, exactly so, what you're talking about. So now it's I know the reason. Weather. Now I know the reason. It's your fault. So that, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. The well, five of sun tour is what, what happened. All that's what created the, the the crappy weather. And it has, yeah, that needs to be reported. It needs to be known that it was you guys, you know, you guys doing all that <laughs> stuff. So. Well, John, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, great conversation. Uh, look forward to seeing you guys again. Look forward to the acoustic record. Look forward to coming back on, you know, and talking music anytime you want. Uh, it was a pleasure. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. Well, once again, that's John Strickland from the band Low Water. This is Jay Scott from The Hook Rocks, your ultimate rock community podcast. Take care, everybody. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.